Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. everyone, this is your host Kelly from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Katie, our storyteller for today, shared her story at the local gathering in Vestavia, Alabama. During her struggle with infertility, Katie became overwhelmed with the process, which was, in her words, totally mind-consuming, as those of you who have been through it know. For some women, conceiving a baby is effortless, but for others, it's an emotional roller coaster that only gets more intense with hormones, countless doctor appointments, perfectly timed injections, and much more. Katie began to question where God was in all of it. She eventually did experience the joy of pregnancy and childbirth, but her discovery of God's goodness wasn't in that answered prayer or her bundle of joy, but in His constant presence during some of the hardest days she has faced in her life so far. For anyone struggling with an unanswered prayer, this story will point you to true hope. Here's Katie. Here and see these amazing faces, and so many of y'all mean so much to me, and I'm just so appreciative that you're here. Um, you know, everybody has a story, and I feel like as I've I love storytellers, and I've listened to every single one. I've come to so many, and every story that I listen to, I take something away from it. And some stories, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get anything from that. And I've finished my walk, and I'm like, well, thanks, Lord. You know, I mean, you never know what you're going to pick up from them. But everybody has a story, and I didn't know if I was supposed to share mine. And when I met with Robin and we talked about it, and Sarah Beth was like, hey, girl, you're sharing it. I'm like, okay, well, here we are, and and let's do this. So I'm just going to kind of jump on in. I'm Katie Howell, and um, I grew up with a mom and a dad, and my mom and dad met when my mom was 14. And so I started looking for my husband when I was about 14. And um, he did not come then. Um, but I also have a sister, Sally, who is four years younger than I am. And when we were younger, we would move around every four years. And it was just kind of, my dad would just get a new job and we would move. So we were very adaptable people. We kind of changed locations a lot. I have friends in so many different areas of the country. I was just back in Dallas and I was like, driving by the Galleria where I had my like fifth birthday party, you know, it was just kind of weird. So we were very adaptable people as when we were younger and, but we kind of settled in Franklin, Tennessee when I was going into seventh grade. Um, the other big thing about our lives is we were big soccer players. So kind of how we made our community in each of the places where we went is we would find our soccer community. I started playing travel soccer when I was like six. And so it was a constant in our lives. And that's kind of how we found our groups, which was really interesting. Um, so in high school, between my um, 
junior and senior year, um, I really got involved in Young Life. We grew up in an Episcopal church, which is very much about reciting rituals. I knew every single prayer, probably by heart by the time that I was, um, by the time I was 12. And I didn't really know what it meant, but I could recite everything for you. So when I got to high school and I really got involved in Young Life, I went between that summer, my junior and senior year to Young Life Camp Windy Gap. And, um, I heard the gospel in a totally new and different way. I just remember sitting in there and he was just talking about how dirty and sinful we are and how Jesus can totally wipe me white as snow when I release and give give him my life. And I was like, I want to do that. And I remember this. A lot of people can't remember the second. I can remember the second when I became a true believer. I was sitting out on a piece of grass right beside the big lake at Windy Gap. And I just said, Lord, I want you in my life. And I want to be a true believer in you. Please take my heart. And um, I was so excited. And the next week, that I guess when we came back, I, my mom and dad, I was like bouncing off the walls with this like exciting news that I had. And I shared it with them and they were excited for me. And um, I took my sister to a park. And sat down because I just could, I wanted to tell everybody and kind of shared all that I had learned with her. And it definitely, as we've talked before, is a small part of her journey and how she became a believer. Um, the first Sunday we went back to church after I came back from Young Life Camp, I was listening to those prayers and listening to the sermon. And it's like just the light bulb went off. And it was like a totally different experience for me because I knew who they were talking about personally. And the scripture meant more to me and the sermon meant more to me. And it was just a, an incredible experience to see what the Lord could do in somebody's heart so quickly, honestly. So um, after I graduated from college, I went to Auburn and it was my like most ma- favorite time of my life. I mean, why would it not be? Um, I met amazing friends. There was definitely ups and there was definitely downs, but it was an amazing experience. I watched how other people my age were believers and how they did their walk. And it was just a really cool thing. Between my um, sophomore and junior year, I went to China with Campus Crusade for Christ. And that was the first time that I had learned how to actually um, share my faith with somebody. Um, There's all of these Chinese out there and it was like, I got nothing to lose, you know? And so it was a really cool experience of diving deeper into my relationship with the Lord and learning how to minister to others who didn't know him. Um, So... Our senior, my senior year of high college is when I met my husband, and we dated our whole senior year. Um, we broke up like three days before graduation. That is a totally different storytellers, <laughs> a little bit of drama there. Um, but we got back together um, about six months after we graduated from Auburn, and we got married about a year and a half later. And um, it was very exciting. You know, Scott Howell, he's, he's my person, to say the least. So... Um, when we got married, I was ready to have children the next day, and um, he was not. So I was definitely like on his time frame for having children, to say the least. I'm tapping my foot, waiting, and like the second he says, okay, Kate, I think it was about three years, he was like, okay, I think I'm on the bandwagon. I think we can go for this. I'm like, okay, great. Well, I have been ready for a long time. So I had already been like taking my temperature, seeing if I was like ovulating. I want to make sure that like everything was the way it was supposed to be. So this could like happen in a second. And I also had a lot of other wonderful friends around me who were kind of in the same boat. A few, a year before that, they were kind of on the train of trying to have children too. So pretty quickly, I knew that when he told me yes, I was like, let's do this, you know. So six months go by, and I start just, I'm seeing no's on pregnancy tests. 
every single month. As soon as he actually gave me the go ahead, I went from taking my temperature to taking the ovulation test. Game changer. But I would get no's on the ovulation test every single month. And so I knew fairly quickly that there was something that was going down. Um, And so I went into my OB, who you'll hear a lot about. I call her Ashley. I don't think a lot of people do, but her name is Dr. Prisbus. She's Ashley to me. Um, I went in to see Ashley and she was like, I, get, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty big planner. I'm like, well, this has happened. This month, this happened. This month, this happened. You know, it's been six months. I'm not getting ovulation tests. I knew something was up. She was like, okay, well, you got it under control. I got that. So like, why don't we start you off on Clomid? You know, we're going to do Clomid first. I was like, totally, let's do Clomid. Like I hear people getting pregnant on Clomid all the time. Um, yes, please. So we get on Clomid. We decided to do like a three-month thing. I'm going to take it the three months and totally going to have a baby, of course. So the first month comes and I ovulated on Clomid, which is a really big deal because I had not ovulated before, but there was no baby. It turns out with Clomid, there's like different... um, there's different side effects for me. It was menopausal hot flashes. So like I had a fan with me at all times and all of a sudden I'm beat red right now, but I would like start being beat red and like the sweat. I, I know, I know what menopause is a little bit about. Um, <laughs> um, so the first month I did ovulate, which was exciting. The second month I did not. And the third month that I did not. So by the end of the third month, I still, so I guess we're 10 months in, I'm just seeing no's still every single month, basically, is the moral of the story. And I go back to Ashley. I'm like, Ashley, girl, like, what are we going to do about this? And she's like, I think this is above my pay grade, Kate. I think you need to move on. She didn't call me Kate. Um, (laughs) We're going to move on, and we are going to, I want you to go to a fertility clinic infertility clinic. And I was like, okay. And it doesn't, it wasn't like a big deal to me. Like I, it was, it was kind of a blessing, like not a blessing for all of my sweet friends, but a lot of us were having fertility problems. And so I didn't feel like upset or angry or like mad about going to fertility clinic. I was like, they're going to get me the answers I need. So like, let's do it. Um, and so we kind of moved into going to art is where we ended up going. I mean, I feel like during this time, we go into art and Scott and I are like there for our big appointment. I mean, you go through, they're doing ultrasounds on you. They're taking your blood. They're asking you a bazillion questions. They're telling you how much it's going to be. They're telling you what your options are. And at the end of the day, Dr. Long was our doctor. And he finally sat down with Scotty and I after this huge long day of all of this I mean, it, it was emotionally draining, the, the length of this appointment. And he was like, here's the deal, Kate. You can, he didn't call me Kate either. <laughs> At the end of the day, you can do IUIs, which I'll go into greater detail of that later, or you can do in vitro. And I really believe if you were my daughter, I would tell you to do in vitro. And so Scotty and I listened to that and um, we went home, we prayed about it. We talked about it at nauseum, of course. And we really believed after a few days, the Lord was leading us down the path of in vitro. And so we um, got back with them. We signed up for everything. And it turns out that in vitro is like a three month process. Basically, you get this huge calendar of three months. It tells you specific details of what you're supposed to be doing each day at this specific time that you have to do it. Because if you don't, everything in your body is going to be whacked out. The most incredible thing about this process, well, there's a lot of incredible things, but you have to get on birth control to start the in vitro process. That totally blew my mind that you people are going to put me on a medicine that stops pregnancy to get me pregnant. That was 
mind blowing to me. But we got on the birth control and then we had the two more months of intense. There were shots that came. There were progesterone shots. There were, um, there was like, what other kind of shots? I mean, a bazillion different types of shots that had to be a trigger shot. There's all of these different ones. So I'm not a shot person. When I was little, my mom had to like bribe me with ice cream sundaes after shot to get shots for the doctor. Like shots are not my thing to say the least. And that was part of this. This kind of makes me a little emotional because because of all of these shots, Scott Howell had to give me shots. I had to, we were at a movie theater one night with a bunch of my sweet friends and one of those friends got the bad straw and I was like, Catherine girl, you're gonna have to do it. And we're like having a drug deal in the bathroom because she's having to shoot me up with the specific, whatever it was that I needed in my body at that second to move forward in the process. We were at a sweet friend's wedding who was here. And like that night at that specific moment during her reception, I was like, Scotty, we, we got we got to go to the back the trunk of the car because like we got to get this shot to release the eggs so that we'll be ready for next week you know i mean it is totally mind consuming the entire this calendar you are living by this calendar and it was easy to struggle with where is the lord in this calendar you know there are all of these teeny teeny little minute details going to the doctor at eight o'clock coming back at 12 seeing how your eggs are progressing all of this where is the lord in this and at the end of the day which I'll get to at the end of the day, all of these shots, all of this, either the Lord's going to give us a baby or he's not. It's either our time or it's not our time. Um, so I'm going to give you all a little more about the in vitro process, basically. So basically we're moving up. We get to the point where it's the retrieval day, which means that we have been growing these eggs in my fluffy pillow uterus until it is perfect. And they're like, they don't know exactly how many eggs are in there. And you're counting. I mean, every time I'm like, how many is there today? Tell me how we doing? How we doing? How many mature eggs are they? They took out as many as they could. I'm a very good egg grower, it turns out. And I got, I guess, about 15 or 16 eggs that they took out, which is a lot of eggs. And um, they took them out and then they injected Scott's sperm into them. And then they're basically incubating and they're growing. And each day we would get a call that would tell us how our babies are doing, how are your embryos doing? How many do you have? Just like it naturally, eggs, all eggs do not survive and they do slough off. And so by the end of those, I think it was, I have it down that it was six days, we had six viable embryos is what we had. So by the, we got to that date and then we were ready for them to put them back in. And we were really struggling with how many we wanted to put in. And Scotty and I prayed about it. We talked about it, agnosium again, obviously. And um, we were like, we just decided that like Dr. Long, we trust him and we are going to kind of go by what he says. And so I am no doubt lying on the operating table and we were like, Dr. Long, if I was your daughter, how many would you put in? And he said, I would put in two. And I was like, perfect. I want twins put in two. <laughs> and so um, he put two in and they grade each of these embryos. The highest grade that you can have, it's called a 5AA and it kind of goes down from there. So um, we had to wait, I think it was nine days after the transfer and you're just trying to figure out what do I do? What do I not do? Do I lay down the entire time? Do I put my legs up in the air? Do I walk? Do I run? Do I eat this? Do I not eat this? What is it going to be that's going to make this happen? And at the end of the day, the Lord is the only one that's going to make this happen. I mean, it's either it's time for a baby or it's not time for a baby. 
And um, after that long wait, Scotty and I decided they call you and just leave on a message what your results are, which is great and not great. And so we decided we were going to wait till we got him to our little first baby house. And um, we're just sitting there in our den and we are listening to that message. And we got the news that we were pregnant. And um, one of our embryos was a 5AA, the best that there is. And that is totally Roger's Howell. <laughs> for sure. Um, so it was... The like effort and the time and the emotions and the shots and the bruises all over my body and the constant going up to the doctor and the just not knowing in the, when you're in this position and people know that you're in this position, they don't know how to talk to you because you either have what they want or you don't have what they want or they're trying to get what there there's no good way to communicate to somebody that is going through infertility my sweet sister had been married for a month and she had to have the burden of calling to tell me that she was pregnant the week before we started doing in vitro i can't imagine her heart when she had to do that and i mean what a servant heart that she even decided to come and tell me at the time that she did um I want everybody to know that like there is no right way to talk to somebody that's going through this. The only thing to do is to love them and to know that you're there for them. And so back to, so we got the news, we were pregnant and we were so, so excited. Um, I, it turns out I'm not a good pregnant person. Um, I throw up every single day of pregnancy. I have to have um, grocery bags in the car with me at all times because there's just projectile vomit, like randomly, like in, <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Like the amount of like parking lots in Birmingham that I've thrown up in is a little extreme. So I'm not going to tell you which ones, um, but there's been a lot. Um, so I'm not a great pregnant person, but obviously we went through all of this to get to this point. I'm just trying to do the best I can. Um, I got really big, really quick with Rogers. Um, I was so large that I had pitting edema in my ankles. When you like press them in, they wouldn't come back out. Um, by the time I was 39 weeks, I was measuring at 43 weeks pregnant. I was huge. Um, and so because of that, my doctor, Ashley, we decided that I was just going to automatically do a C-section because I was so huge. And basically that was the only reason. A lot of people, they want to go natural. They want to like do these V-backs. They want to do, I had none of that desire. I was like, you're gonna give me a C-section, sign me up for C-section. You know, like I know the day that he's going to come, we can just go on in there and get it done. I had no anxiety about that. And so the day came, May 27th came and I skipped on in there at five, whatever. I was so, I didn't skip. I probably hobbled, um, came on in there and, um, we were getting all set up for the C-section. Um, the nurse, and I will never forget the, actually I did forget this. Scott told me this, the nurse anesthetist, as I'm laying there on the table, it was like, oh gosh, redheads are the worst. They bleed out all the time. Like redheads, like your, our blood is thinner. And so he, she, he was like, we'll see how this goes. You know, it was kind of his mentality. I was like, awesome. Roger's birthday. Let's do this. You know, um, Scotty told me that, but this was a really cool experience. So one of my great friends, Jordan, her dad is an OB at the office where I go. And he has been a part of my grown up life since the very beginning. And he did not deliver babies anymore, but he assisted my doctor, Ashley. And, um, he showed me Rogers for the first time which was absolutely unbelievable. I have this little picture of like Dr. Orso holding him up. And um, it was 
an amazing, amazing experience to like see this baby that we had prayed for and had gone through all of this journey for, and he was here. So after the birth, I got to hold him and they're wheeling me out of the room. And Scott, he just told me this last week too. He was like, Hey, I remember you were holding him. Y'all are getting wheeled out. And I remember behind me, this nurse being like, there's a lot of blood on the floor. And Scott was like, we had never had a baby. I was like, maybe it's just a little more blood, you know, like, what are you going to do? Here we are. And so we get in the room and I'm holding him. And I'm so, I even think I might've started nursing him, honestly. And all of a sudden we had this rock star nurse that day. Her name is Lindsay Hayes. And she actually lives down the street from us now, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and she, she was with, with us the whole day and I was holding Rogers and all of a sudden she, um, I could kind of see like this panic in her eye. And I was like, okay, um, all of a sudden there's two nurses in the room and then there's four nurses in the room and then there's Ashley's in there and there's Dr. Orso's in there and there's all of these doctors in the room. And it turns out that while I was in the C-section, Ashley told me that, Katie, we would have ended up being in here doing a C-section anyway. You have placenta previa and we didn't know it, which basically placenta previa is the placenta is implanted at the lower part of your uterus. And so you're trying to push out a baby and it's not going to happen. So we would have ended up in the C-section anyway. So kind of like something that happens when you have placenta previa sometimes is I have this thing called a lazy uterus, which means that the muscles of the uterus don't contract strongly enough. And then the blood vessels, they can just bleed freely. And so I was hemorrhaging out blood. There was like blood clots after blood clots, and there was no way to stop it because, because the muscles were not contracting. So basically if they didn't stop the bleeding out, I was going to die quickly. And, um, so I'm holding Rogers. Rogers is taken away from me. They're put him under the heat lamp in the room. There's all of these people in there trying to stop the bleeding. And, um, I'm watching our like newborn son, like under the heat lamp being like, I, we've gone through all of this and now we're here, you know, Lord, what is, what is going on? I'm searching for Scott. Ashley Presbys has taken Scott out of the room and he has to basically, say that it is okay to give me a hysterectomy to take everything out so that I can survive, not just to stop the bleeding, but to save <clears throat> to save my life if they cannot stop the bleeding. He comes back in the room and he is up by my head. And um, I just remember staring at him and saying, Scotty, I guess we're just going to be adopting the rest of our kids. And he goes, I love you. And it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then they wheel me out of the room. This is 20 minutes after Rogers was born. Um, they wheel me out of the room. They put me out immediately. And Dr. Orso is in the surgery with Ashley. And there's like a, like a GYN cancer doctor that's in there too, who my mother-in-law was like, why is there a cancer doctor in here? And it's like, in case there was a hysterectomy, he was there to help. There was all of these people in there that I learned about later. Well, anyways, they're in the surgery and Ashley is a genius, my doctor. And, um, she had either read in a magazine or seen in a book, there was a specific stitch. It was called the B stitch. And Dr. Orso had never seen it been done before. Ashley had never done it before. She did this stitch that she had learned in a book and it held my uterus closed. It stopped the bleeding. It was a gift from the Lord. And, um, I came out of surgery and it was, it had held and they wheeled me back into the room. I'm still in my breathing. I'm still in my breathing tube. Um, during this time, all of our family had gotten to meet Rogers, but they left when I came back in. And so Scott is holding Rogers in his arm, our newborn baby. I'm on a breathing tube, totally out of it. Um, 
And he was like, Kate, I just didn't even know what to do. And so I just sat beside you and just started praying for us. I just prayed for the family that we're going to have. I prayed for where, how you were, you know, the recovery of this. I, I just prayed for, for us and for the journey that the Lord had for us. I can't imagine being him in that minute. Um, just to see his leadership, to see his compassion and to see like how he was loving all of us so well was just, I didn't even see it. I was totally out of it, but to just picture it in my head is such a vivid image of his love for our family. Um, I finally, yeah, thanks. Um, I finally woke up and, um, it turns out that when you lose a lot of blood, that's not good. And, um, and when I'm like, I need to go to the next page. Sorry, y'all. Um, when I woke up my hemoglobin, which is basically like your blood level was at a two, it was death sore. And so within that day, it should have been an average hemoglobin is like 12 to 15. And so within that day, I had six units of blood and two units of plasma pumped back into me. Um, and you know, I actually, when I woke up, I was laying in bed (laughs) Like my mom, my dad, Scott, they're all like just staring at me and Rogers is in somebody's arms. And all of a sudden my mom goes, we're sitting there and I was getting it back together. And I was like, um, Hey, um, can you please change him out of that disgusting hospital gown and put him in that kissy kissy gown with the hat that matches and the booties, please. I need him in the correct swaddle that matches. And she was like, she's back. We're going to be okay. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah. And that's kind of when we knew that like, we were, we were going to make it. I didn't realize at the time, and they didn't tell me until days later, that there was about a three-hour period of waiting to see if the stitch was even going to hold. And I, that's why they were, like, staring at me, and I didn't realize what that was. And so, thank goodness they told me that after that three hours was up. Um, and it did end up holding, which was amazing. Because I had so much fluid and blood and all of this stuff, um, like, hold holding me down, um, to save my life. I, I don't know why I decided this was a good idea, but right outside of my room, they put us in the corner cause we were like drama fest. Um, they, there was a scale right outside. And so the next day I was like, Scotty, I'm just going to hop on. I just want to see, you know, I just want to know. I ho- he was like, this is not a good idea. I was like, but I just want to know. I step on that scale. People, I'm not kidding. When I say I was the same weight of when I came in because I was so full of livelihood. You know, I mean, like it was, it was funny and I didn't get upset. I knew it was going to happen, but I just wanted to know, you know? Um, so Scotty and I talked about this a lot too, when I was getting prepared for this, that like, when I was looking for a husband, I was thinking, I want a really nice man. I want somebody who is going to love me. I want somebody who's going to fight for us. Do you know what I wasn't thinking on the day that we got married? I want somebody who's going to check the scale on how much TT I had after this. I, I'm going to, I want somebody who's going to change my pads because I can't stand up by myself. I want somebody who's going to hold me up and take me to the restroom because I can't do it for myself. Those were not things that I was thinking on our wedding day. I'm so glad I got you. You know, I'm so glad I was thinking you are the cutest thing I've ever seen. You know, like I was thinking you are so kind hearted, but to see his servant heart come out in this extreme scenario that I never would have asked for myself. It took our marriage in vitro. And then this, this, this crazy day, it took our marriage to such a deeper place than it was. 
And the Lord knew that. He knew that when I said yes. He knew that when I was standing up there. And he he knows that today. And just to see this different side of him and see how deep his love is for me and for our family is incredible. Um, so after we got home, I was we had a we had a great first year. Roger's a very high maintenance baby. I didn't care. Actually, I mean, there was there was no bottles or anything. It was just breastfeeding for like six months, ball and chain, but it was great. I mean, I had this sweet baby. He like had to be patted and walked around every five seconds. Great, you know, like I was just so excited. We loved him. We he I we he's he's one of my most favorite people in the whole world. Um when we were ready to have a second baby, it turns out that because you know we used two of our embryos. We had four frozen embryos that were still in the freezer up at Art at Brookwood. Brookwood, I feel like, is the most beautiful, ugly place to me because I go there to hopefully have my children, and I hear so many yeses, and I hear so many noes there. But I pass that place, and it holds a special place in my heart. Obviously, I did not give birth to my children there. That was at St. Vincent's. We got them both on the counter. Anyway, so when it was time, we hopped on back to Brookwood, and um, I was like, this is great. We have our four frozen embryos. We're going to put two in. We're going to we're gonna have our baby. It's it's going to go easily. It's going to go wonderful. I cannot I cannot wait. Let's, do, let's get this, Dr. Lon. Let's do this. So I go in, and when you do a frozen cycle, that's what it's called, you have to um, get your body ready again. You do birth control for a month. You have to get on progesterone. You have to get on a few things, but it's nothing to the extent that in vitro was. And so we got ready and it was time for the first transfer. I mean, i be honest, I heard yes the first time. I knew this was going to work for me. I go in, we do the transfer. We wait our nine days. They call me, I go up for my pregnancy test. <clears throat> they call me and they're like, Katie, we don't really know if you're pregnant. I felt pregnant. I knew what feeling pregnant was because I'd been pregnant before now. And I was like, yes, I'm totally pregnant. This is it. They're like, Katie, your levels are kind of in between. Let's like do this again. I'm like, okay. So they take my blood work and it turns out I was not pregnant. I'd had a chemical pregnancy, which means your body just feels like it's pregnant, but it's really not. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, we have these two more embryos. They're like waiting there. Like there's a reason that these are in there, that they, we've kept them. You're not only are they frozen in there, in there are babies. We're paying for them. We're checking on them. This is not like a five second, like, okay, let's just pull them on out. Like this takes a lot of time and effort. So we talked to Dr. Long and we decided that the next month my body was already ready. We were going to do the second one with the last two embryos that we had. And so we go in, I'm excited. Scott's excited. We're all excited. And, um, they put the last two in and it is a firm no that I was not pregnant. Um, Dr. Long was like, I'm very surprised that this did not work for you. Do you know who wasn't surprised? The Lord was not surprised. Um, I was surprised. I wasn't just surprised. I was angry. I was angry that God would give us these four embryos that we had placed in, that we had left. What was the point of it? What was the point of this like energy that we are putting what is the point of what is the point of it all? I, I mean, I was just so I was so angry. I was like, Lord, why would you do this to us? Why would you give these to these and then give them to us and then them not work? I I went to a bad place to say the least. Um, I um, start, I was very angry and it got to the point where I couldn't pray anymore about it. I got to the point where I was very angry at God. And Scott was like, Kate, I got this. I don't need you to pray about it anymore. I got this. I'm going to be praying for our family with this which again, just shows his absolute servanthood that like he took it and I knew that it was being prayed for. And, um, 
our sweet friends at the time, they were getting a little nervous about me too. I was kind of going down like a deep, dark hill. And um, they were like, hey, we just want to come around you and pray for you. And I will never forget, they came to my dining room and sat in a circle around me and just prayed blessings over me and played that prayed that like the Lord had a plan for our family and for me to be reassured on that. And um, just knowing that all of these amazing, wonderful people were in my corner praying for me and advocating for me was a huge, huge, huge deal for me. Um, while I'm going through this, I'm still going to have my game plan. So we go back in. I'm like, Dr. Long, these didn't work. What are we going to do now? How are we going to do this? We need babies. How's this going to happen? And he's like, I think that we could do and some IUIs. And so an IUI, basically, it's called intrauterine insemination, which is basically, if we're being blatantly honest, I kind of think of it as like a how horses get pregnant. But um, <laughs> you place the sperm in the uterus, and it facilitates the fertilization. But you're preparing your body so it's ready for it. Um, and we had, we had decided we were going to do three rounds of IUIs. So we do the first round of IUIs. It's a no. We do the second round of IUIs. It's a no. The amount of no's that I was hearing was taking me further and further and further into this really, really terrible hole. I believed in the Lord. I never doubted that the Lord was in charge of my life. I was questioning why he was doing what he was doing, which is a slippery slope to go down, to say the least. Basically, I was reading this Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies, and this is exactly how I felt. It's not just that you have a dream, but that your heart gets captured by your dream. It becomes your definition of life. You no longer hold your dream with open hands. What was once a desire has morphed into a demand, and it won't be long before you view that demand as a need. This thing that you once wished that you had becomes your non-negotiable, the thing that you are unwilling to live without. And soon you're unhappy, not because life has been hard or God has been unfaithful, but because this thing that is effectively and functionally ruling your heart lies beyond your grasp. You're discouraged. You envy people who seem to have captured their dreams. You wonder why you've been singled out. You wonder why God has forgotten you. Dream, yes, but when your dream becomes a ruling thing, it can really wreak havoc on your spiritual life. The amount of of people and dear friends of mine that were pregnant, that had children, that we were going to baby showers for, that I was so excited for. It was so wonderful, but it was so hard to like, to have the thing within your grasp and to, it, you're, you're watching your friends live in this thing that you want. I had a child. I have a sweet, sweet friend who she had to do in vitro to have her third child. She was like, Katie, it doesn't mean the desire of your heart is different. You, people say all the time, well, you already have a baby. You're good. Just because you have one baby doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't, that you don't have a desire or that the Lord's not putting a desire on your heart to have more children. And I stand firm in that. Um, during this time, I just flippantly decided to go to a Bible study during all of this. And it was at our old church. And um, the only reason why I signed up for it is because I was obsessed with the woman who was doing the Bible study, who was in charge, who was leading it. And I walked in. I am not doing great, obviously. All we've heard is no's. And I sit down and I haven't even looked at the book. I open that page and I'm like, what are we going to study? Don't worry. We're studying women with infertility issues. And um, the fir- like we talked the first week we talked about Sarah and Abraham the second week, we talked about Rebecca and Isaac, and we were talking about Rebecca and Isaac. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And um, 
I'm sitting there, I'm listening, and all of a sudden, it is beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Lord spoke to me firmly and precisely and said, it's time for you to stop and wait on me. It wasn't like, this is question, it wasn't like I just randomly heard this from somebody. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, stop and wait on me. It was a choice to obey the Lord or to disobey the Lord. There was no in-between in this. In this. Um, so after that, I left the Bible study, trying to keep it together. I get to the car, bawling my face off. And I call Scott and I'm like, Scott, the Lord spoke to me and we can't do the third IUI. He's like, I didn't want to do the third IUI anyway, you know? And I was like, but aren't you glad I'm listening to God instead of you? You know? And he's like, yes, I am glad that you are listening to God. And so we did not do the third IUI. I chose to obey. And um, that next month we got pregnant with Franny Howell on our own. And it was, I didn't deserve Franny Howell. It's not like the Lord had to prove to me because I obeyed him that I deserve to have her. He gave us this gift and it was out of, it was out of obedience to him that like she is here. And to say that I adore Franny Howell is like a little of an understatement. Um, like when she was little, my pregnancy with her was wonderful. It was the easiest pregnancy I had. I did throw up every day, but it was wonderful. (laughs) Um, and when she came, I didn't have any of my problems like delivery. They prepared for the bad deliveries, but it did not happen. They had the blood, they had plasma, they had everything. And of course that's when everything goes fine. Um, but when she was six months old, she was supposed to, I guess, or before she was supposed to learn to crawl, you know, and I like wouldn't put her down. And my pediatrician was like, Katie, like you got to put her down. She has to learn to crawl. I was like, I don't want to put her down. You know, like she's just my nugget. She is just the biggest blessing and we are so grateful for her. Um, so we had Rogers and Franny and, um, everything is wonderful. And I feel like about a year later, Scotty and I talked and I'm like, Hey, I mean, can we try to have a third kid? You know, like, can we just try? And he was like, Hey, I mean, we are good. Like we, our track record is interesting to say the least. And so, I mean, we don't, we're not going to go back to the fertility clinic. We have a healthy boy and girl. Like if we can do this, let's have, let's go for it. If we can't, that's great too. And so um, I, the next month, I sent Scott a text message while he was at work of a pregnancy test that said yes with an emoji with just laughing. You know, we had emojis at that time Um, because Bennett came into the world in five seconds. And he was a very easy pregnancy too, but we call him F5. That's his nickname because... He is a tornado. Um, You are either like totally in Bennett's crazy or he is chill. And like he has, the liveliness has come after Bennett's birth. Let's say that. Um, But when I look at each three of all of my children, the Lord was in it in every single one, the exact same amount. He was there for Rogers. He was there for Franny and he was there for Bennett. And when I look at them, I just look at the Lord's goodness and how he did provide for us. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve, I don't deserve any of them, but they're, but he has blessed them. He's blessed me with them and Scott. And, um, I just, I just, I'm just so grateful for who he is in our lives. I'm grateful for the journey that he took us on and I'm grateful for where it has led us. Um, at church, there is this song, and when I hear it, I just feel like I have to scream it. I feel like I'm going to sing, like he can hear me better if I'm screaming it. I don't really know. But it really kind of, um, it brought me, it's what I know I needed to share here. And the song is called, Oh Great God. I think y'all are getting a card that it's on. But it says, 
Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Thank y'all. I'm an open book, y'all. I'll answer anything. What do your kids know of these stories? Good question. Um, Will you repeat the question? Oh, yeah. What do my kids know of these stories? Um, when we pass Brookwood Hospital, Rogers knows that that is kind of where his story began. Um, and Franny and Bennett, like this morning, Franny was reading over my timeline. and I was like, girl, we'll talk about this later. Um, <laughs> So I think Rogers is the only one who really knows the depths of the struggle and um, and kind of where he began. He knows the story of his birth, but he really doesn't mention it much. I don't know. I guess it's because it's kind of been with him since the beginning. It's not like a huge thing. I'm sure after this, we'll have more stories to talk about him more. <laughs> Did you have a time where somebody really encouraged you or maybe said something? Mm-hmm. I think the best way to encourage somebody with infertility is, you know, after having Rogers, I was really trying to encourage other people who were, who didn't have a baby. And it's hard because you have what they want and, um, to encourage them to know that like this could happen for you. But at the same time, you don't know if it can happen for them because everybody's story is different. And that's one thing I did want to say too, is this was our story and no two, no two stories of infertility are alike. And so I just think knowing people coming before me and praying for me and knowing that I was covered in prayer, knowing that I was loved um, and knowing that even with all those no's, it wasn't changing who I was in the Lord and it wasn't changing how other people felt about me. There can be a lot of, um, just a lot of feeling inadequate because before you start this fertility journey, my picture was, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have three kids whenever I want. And then I'm just going to move on with my jolly life. And when that doesn't come into fruition, it's a difficult scenario. to. I just think to encourage somebody else, I would just let them know that you're thinking about them, know that they are covered in prayer and um, just being there when they do want to talk. You don't need to really go out and talk to them, but I would, because I mean, it's, some people do this inwardly. Some people do this outwardly. It's with everything else in life. Everybody chooses different ways to do it, you know? For me, it's obviously outward. Like, you have faced other challenges since this because of having perspective. I think, like, knowing that... Oh, sure. Yeah. How did I, how have I faced other challenges since then based on kind of what we went through? Um, knowing that the Lord went before me in the midst of it and after me to the, to today is encouraging to, to, I feel like I kind of have grown in that knowledge of the Lord's relationship with my relationship with the Lord. Um, I think when I look at their faces, especially the last few weeks when I've been like really going back to the details of this, in seeing that, like, he is 
always with us no matter the circumstance. That it doesn't matter if it is the best day and I'm skipping around shopping at anthropology or if I am crying in my bed because Bennett Howell has said something that has hurt my feelings. That regardless of the span, that like he is with me all the time and he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me and that he always wants good in our lives regardless of what is the now. Okay, so with this being a hot topic in the church and mm-hmm. even outside the church, did you ever face anyone who maybe disagreed with your decisions? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that people have different opinions on this. You know, I think that we can really only decipher what is right for for Scott and I and what the Lord called us to do. I think that a lot of people struggle. When you hear the word 16 eggs that came out, that's a lot of eggs. And I think people kind of struggle with what do you do with the embryos that are that you don't use? What do people do when there's too many frozen? And our thing with it was if we had 16 eggs we and like all of them were viable, we were going to be like Kate and Scott plus 16. You know, like we were not going to leave any embryos behind. Um, but I <laughs> leave any of them. It's kind of funny. Anna. Um, but we weren't. I mean, those were our children and we were going to use them. Um, I think... You know, I was talking to my friend Cass that they're having people are kind of there are surrogate embryos now where like people who can't get pregnant, they use they pay like an adoption for other people's embryos and they implant them. I mean, I just think that for each individual person, just like everybody has an individual relationship with the Lord, it has to be between you and God. You touched on this a little bit, um, but kind of the shame or the that you were saying that you were feeling a little bit or the, that you're worried about. <laughs> what is that like? I mean, what kind of, what was your experience or people not talking about it openly? I think it's the shame of like what you wanted it to look like and what it doesn't, what it does, what the reality of what, that it does not look like that. And like, for me, I think it was the shame of like being pretty confident that I was going to get what I wanted when I wanted it. Um, I think people don't talk about it because it is like inwardly just like it just it just hurts your soul. I mean, to like have this thing that you desperately desire and then watching others get it so freely and then a fertility patient is struggling and trying and the majority of them are these people who want children so badly and to just it's like any struggle in life when you want something desperately and you don't get it there's like hurt in that, you know? And I think that for fertility you go to this office every single day as you're like preparing to do in vitro or preparing for whatever you're going to do. And you sit in that office and you just look at the people around you and you're like, they just want what I want. And some of them are talking. Some of them, you can just see the pain in their eyes. Some of them are pretending like everything's okay on the outside and they're dying on the inside. And I think people just process it completely different but I think to know that you're not alone and you're not the only one going through this is like a game changer because you can feel very isolated when you're just thinking about what you want, what you haven't gotten. When do I need to do my next shot? Is this going to work? Lord, is this going to be the time? Oh my gosh, nine days. What am I going to do to wait? Like there's just so many highs and lows in the entire process. And some people just keep that on the inside and I want it to be something that is talked about because the only way to like get past the like inner turmoil is to share it with the community. 
When you're faced with an unanswered prayer, do you trust the Lord or do you continue questioning Him? For most of us, it's a waffling back and forth as we try to navigate the unknown with an unseen God. We may not always understand what He's doing, but we can trust that He sees us and He's providing whatever it is we need each day to keep pushing forward. Next Wednesday, we'll have another new story to share that we hope brings you hope and encouragement. So be sure to subscribe to whatever platform you use so you'll be reminded when the episode releases. You can also get the latest news on social media or our website, which is storytellerslive.org. Thank you for choosing to listen to Storytellers Live, and we hope that you'll join us again soon.